Sooners of Oklahoma, 12-0 and still looking for respect nationwide. What is up, Sooner Nation? Thank you all for tuning into another episode of the Barry and Mac Show. Today is the post-game podcast following the Sooners' loss to the Kansas State Wildcats on Saturday in Norman. Many apologies for any audio issues. We wanted to have a quick turnaround on this thing, so apologies if it does not sound the best, but I think it's, I think it's bearable. Make sure to go leave us a rating and review. Instagram at the Barry and Mac Show. Damien's is at Dame That Dude. Mine is at B Wise Fitness at the letter B W I S E Fitness. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter at Barry and Mac S H W. Damien's is at D Mac Thirteen. Please go follow, subscribe to the podcast so you guys don't miss an episode. Let's roll on with the show. It was a game where the Sooners, they, they showed a little fight till the end, but Kansas State just got off too quick, too fast. Um, it was too much for OU to handle. Martinez goes out there for, for Kansas State. Adrian Martinez, after transferring from Nebraska, didn't get the win in Norman last year, makes up for it and then some with an absolutely incredible game. Uh, guy ends up looking like Joe Montana and Michael Vick combined into a Steve Young-looking thing. So K-State gets the win. OU falls to number 16. 41-34 is your final. And as always, we got a Sooner legend himself right here. Uh, now just a local, local star, thanks to the pod. Uh, but... Damian Mackey, how you feeling about uh what the Sooners showed out uh in Owen Field the other day, man? I'm still processing. I, I actually was in town. Um, I watched the first half on the uh in the stands, and then I went into the into the suites for the second half. I I said, hey man, if we're gonna play like dog shit, I'm gonna at least get some uh some 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 drinks and some hot dogs and some uh, Philly cheese steaks out of this gig. So I, I did the Valero, <laughs> I did the Valero suite the second half and, uh, you know, got, got my fair share out of the game. So obviously we'll be breaking it down. I'm, I'm still a little bit down in the dumps, licking my wounds. Um, it's part of life. What do we got to do? We got to, we got to regroup, get better and be ready to go again next Saturday. You know, and I think it's important to remember, I mean, so many teams, actually make it out of their conference and and get to their goals that they're trying to achieve big picture so many teams make it out unscathed i mean you can count them on one hand pretty much the past decade or so i mean you've had a handful of just super stud teams and at the end of the day i mean th there was a lot of hope just because of what we had seen on the field so far but you're in Coach Venable's first year. It's still a work in progress. We see the defense that's going on out west and see what their struggle was once they played a team with a pulse. So you you knew it as a Sooner fan. You just hoped that 
the the changes made over last off season would have maybe taken a, a a bigger effect on the team coming into this game. And there were signs, DMAC. I mean, there were signs in the Nebraska game that they, they've turned the corner on a lot of stuff, but a bunch of things still reared their ugly head. And you know what? We won't bury the lead. Everybody wants to talk about the defense. Martinez ends up with 21 of 34, 234 yards and a touchdown. But it felt like he threw for 400 because he got another 148 on the ground. Man, if you were going to sum it up just in, in a handful of sentences as to why OU was not able to figure it out, even in the second half where they've been so great, and they actually were great in the third quarter. The third quarter was, was a solid quarter. But if you were going to sum it up, DMAC, what would you say happened in that game? You know, I think it was a conflict of styles. Um, it was. It's interesting that, obviously, Coach Venables comes from the K-State uh, cloth. He obviously brought that to Oklahoma. And, I, and you know, not knowing when, when they first came what a, a Snyder program was like, they implemented that immediately on us. And, you know, a lot of the pundits and talking heads were talking about uh, Oklahoma won't be surprised, right? Three factors. Number one, we had been, I think, three out of five of the last games. We either got upset or were very close. Uh, Kleinsman had come into Norman and beat us, I think, two years ago, early in the, early in the season. Yep. And then, of course, you know, Coach V being a tough guy himself, right? Bringing that attitude, bringing that aggressive nature, uh, defensive-minded coach, uh, OU showing against Nebraska that, you know, we were turning a corner and going to impose our will on 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 additional teams or our opponents, excuse me. I think the assumption, and it's definitely an assumption that I made, I can speak for me, was that K-State was not going to be able to come in and bully the bully like they would do with Link. And so if you if you... If you take that away from them, and then you put in a quarterback like uh, Martinez, who had struggled. Uh, we we looked at the, the numbers last week, hadn't thrown more than a couple touchdowns on the season. There was not a one yard, 100 yards receiver for the total totality of the first three, three games of the season. That told us, I asked you, I said, hey, if you were a JV coach, what would that tell you to take away? And you immediately said the run, all they have is him and Deuce. You know, obviously, we all made the assumptions that, oh, you would come in prepared and really, you know, um, ready to come dominate and make Adrian Martinez throw the ball. And the, the crazy thing is he did both very well at a high clip, had a high percentage. And so when we found out that he was going to be able to throw the ball and then that they were going to be able to run the ball, both he and Deuce, um, and then we got out to a slow start on offense. Those two uh, keys are things that really work to their advantage. I, you know, we talked about it in the, in the in the pregame. Hey, we need to score, get a stop, score, get a stop, game over, right? Well, what happens is they scored, got a stop, they scored, got a stop, and then we're playing catch up the remaining of the game. They had all the confidence in the world. Uh, we did try to to match their aggressive nature, which I appreciated. We did make some adjustments uh, going into the third quarter, which I appreciated, but at the end of the day, it wasn't enough. Uh, we'll we'll kind of dig into that. 
I think there's more to learn from this than to bitch and moan about. And, and Barry, before I pass it back to you, I, I think something that we all need to ask ourselves is, did we really believe this Sooner team, this rendition, the 2022 team, what do they call it, Team 128, was this rendition of uh, the Sooners a championship quality team where we're going to go undefeated. And and when you talk to most people, they were like, ah, we're going to be nine and three. We're going to be 10 and two. Well, this is one of those two or three losses. What we need to do is learn from them and get better. And I'm not saying that to sugarcoat anything. It, it is the, the truth of the matter, right? There are some flaws that showed their ugly heads on Saturday. We're going to discuss them. Some on offense, uh, defense was, man, hopefully this was just a, a mirage or some type of, you know, facade is something that is not real. But when you look at it from the lens of a growth mindset, uh, a program that are we taking the tangible steps we need to do to get progressively better? I think you can learn a lot from this. And I think the next game, and I, I said it, I said the next two games would tell us what we are made of. TCU is going to make it very clear and abundant to us how our coaches respond to adversity. And I'm going to be looking very closely um, at our Sooners when we walk in our beautiful all-white uniforms uh, in Fort Worth on Saturday. Man, the analogy that I, I kind of come back to is the course has to do with being in the weight room. And one of the things that I think happened to Oklahoma is what happens when, when certain athletes are trying to get proficient at a lift, proficient at a task, and then they try and make the, that big jump up or level up to a new weight or whatever it is. And what happens is well, when the weight's low and you're working on some form, just some technical elements, Everything looks good. You throw a little more weight on there. Everything looks good. A little bit more weight. And it's starting to get a little shaky, but for the most part, it looks good. And then you really step it up. You're like, you know what? We're going to try and PR today. You try and hit that PR and just doesn't look great. It looks shaky. And I think you cannot throw out the progress that Oklahoma has seemed to have made. I mean, they went in. We, we can't just totally throw out the baby with the bathwater on these first three games where they go out and they handle business. The defense does look strong at a lot of points. Um, sure, there were a handful of things that, that kind of showed their ugly head in those games, but it wasn't to the effect that we saw the, this past Saturday. And, man, in my opinion, the, the game, the tone of everything was set on that very first drive and i just want to kind of ca call attention to a couple plays and and then i'll let you kind of talk about maybe the ins and outs and and why this stuff just continued to work outside of maybe the third quarter but man 1432 left in the first quarter it's a third and five martinez runs to the left you have a, a backer and a corner both get blocked 28 and four um the the tackles there to be made by by a secondary player doesn't work out drive keeps going that was just oh you had a chance to get off the field have them punt probably get the ball somewhere around the 20 just doesn't pan out that same drive 12 25 left so they've already run three four minutes off the clock third and 12 
DMAC. And this is where you started to think things might, might not be looking great. Martinez, another run to the left. You get a bad angle from a backer. And you get a, a DB who essentially sits down on the tackle instead of driving through the ball carrier. And guy's able to drag him for at least four yards, if I remember right, all the way to a first down. Otherwise, you've got a difficult fourth and four. And maybe you can talk about the technical pieces of that and, and what you'd really want the defense to do. But it was really Martinez's legs that were the back-breaking plays of this game. And we thought with the defense that Venables was going to deploy, and when we all know that this is his defense, you know, the fans are already going crazy saying, need to get rid of Roof, need to get rid of, you know, so-and-so. And of course, they're obviously, you know, taking a hard look at the players, as deservedly so. But what was Nebraska able to exploit that that just that OU could just not get a handle on in this one defensively? Well, let me say this: it wasn't Nebraska; it was K State. We we definitely uh, we definitely took Nebraska's lunch money oh, yeah. um, last Saturday. <laughs> I just want to make sure. Want to make sure I gave us credit for that piece. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, here's here's so you know there's three uh, there's three parts that really you know make me rack my brain. Number one, since you brought up Nebraska, let's discuss them. In the Nebraska game, we showed a, a thirty front. I think the entire game. I don't think we. I don't think we show one forty front the entire game. And in that debrief, I'm watching the game, and then I rewatch the game, and I'm like, wow, I love this because philosophically, what it did is it simplified everyone's responsibility. It also put an additional athlete on the field, right? So remember, in that Canic, excuse me, in that Nebraska game, Canic was featured because we're in a thirty front. Harrington is playing as a as an overhang quite often because we're in a 30 front. And so um, when in that position, there are now more guys who do not have their hand in the dirt, which means they can actually see the play happen, especially if we know we're going to be playing that big zone that, you know, coach V likes to run. So I was really, I get it. If they're in um, two tight end, one back personnel, yes, you can't, you can't have three down linemen and, and six or seven, you know, offensive guys with their hand in the dirt, that just doesn't work. So I got it if they're in, you know, uh, 12 personnel. But when we're talking about there, a lot of times they lined up in uh, one back with one tight end, 11. And when they're in 11, and a lot of times they lined up in it and showed trips, which is what, you know, Nebraska did a lot last Saturday. I said to myself, man, I don't, you know, I remember seeing, you know, White have his best game of the season. I remember seeing DU have a very, very positive game last week. And some, and then obviously you've got the additional either 37 or 7 on the field with those guys. They're rallying to the ball, gang tackling, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Everybody's screaming and headed up field. And we talked about it. K-State's going to come with a different formula because they run that QB lead. They run that that guard, you know, the guards leading through the hole and it's the power. If, if you watch the game from Saturday, there were a couple of plays. They hiked the ball and they literally like stutter step, stutter step, stutter step, stutter, like four pitter patters. And they're waiting for the hole to declare. And sometimes we eliminate it. And we, we stuff them for a yard or two. And then sometimes, boom, Deuce is out the gate or boom, obviously, uh, AM is what we're going to call him. Adrian Martinez, you know, we're making him look like, I, I don't even know, bro, Eric Kraut. I mean, he, what is, is he, is he Bishop? Is he L. Roberson? Like what happens when you put on these silver pants, you just become a magician with the, with the ball. 
So I'll digress to say from a scheme standpoint, it was interesting to see us uh, go back to the 40 front um, so often and it literally bear no fruits. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. And when I throw these numbers at you, Barry, I, I'm not saying this. It, it, the numbers are the numbers. And 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 we both know analytics is a huge part of football. It's just a huge part of the game, you know, and when you are you know, holding yourself accountable and saying, where are the areas in the game that, you know, we need to improve? Those are things that we, you know, we want to discuss. So number one, um, turnovers. How many turnovers did we have on Saturday? Do you know? How many turnovers did we force on Saturday? Zero. Zero turnovers. Zero. Zero turnovers. Not, not, not one turnover. Sacks. Any idea how many sacks we got on Saturday? Man, I think zero. I don't. We had zero sacks on Saturday. Not one. You ready for this one? We were number. I want to say we were number one in America for tackles for loss. That's right. Number one, thirty-two. Do you know how many tackles for losses we got on Saturday? I'm gonna go on a limb and say less than eight. We got four. Divide that number in half. Man. And by the way, one's like the second play of the game. Ethan Downs gets a, a tackle for a loss. Uh, and the others are by D tackles. Yeah, Jalen Redmond had one. And yeah, man. All right, here wow. we go. Hold on, I got some number, I got some more numbers to throw at you. I'm gonna say numbers and not names just because I like to respect my Sooners. I still love my Sooners, but we gotta call shit out when we see it. Here it is. Ethan Downs makes a play the first possession, doesn't make another, he doesn't record any other um interactions the rest of the game. Grimes, who's who's been leading. Damn it, I'm saying names, ain't I? Fourteen. <laughs> Fourteen does not show up on the stat sheet. Plays fifty plays does not show up on the stat sheet Yikes. at all. Not once. Okay. Um, let's go to let's go to uh, some of the D tackles. They show up. Redmond. Uh, crap. 31, four <laughs> tackles, <laughs> right? 94, two tackles, 77 in there with the tackle. But my point is we know they're going to run the wall, right? We, we scroll over to the top and we're going to dig that deeper into some of these other guys, but the linebackers dominate the tackles and uh, um, 25. They dominate the tackles, 15, 10, and 10 respectively. Uh, two has 15, 25 has 10, uh, 28 has 10. So on the surface, it's like, okay, the linebackers came to play. But when you watch the film, right, someone asked me a question. They sent me a screenshot and they say, hey, what does this tell you? And the screenshot said, man, you know what it tells me? That those numbers tell me based upon that time of possession and the score that our backers were making plays four, five, six, seven, ten yards down the field. In other words, they were not the aggressors. They were reacting. Uh, they were the individuals who were in the most traffic, right? Because we're playing a, a position where we want to cover those guys up where they can run around and make tackles. So they should. But that tells me there must have been five, eight, 10, 12 play drives. And when you go and see how many times they drove 80 yards on us and methodically went down the field and killed us underneath and killed us on the edges and killed us in QB run and then just killed us. And, you know, they ran dive a couple of times through the A gap and boom, juices, juices. Juice is juking people in the hole, literally. 
And it's like, man, this kid, you know, we making him look like Darren Sproles. And, and let me tell you, somebody said, oh, he's, he's, he's not Darren Sproles. With, with all due respect to him, he's a fine player. I think he's I think he's going to get a cup of coffee and play a couple of years. The NFL is a space now where a player of his caliber can find a niche. But 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 uh, Darren Sproles played 10, 11 years in the league. And, and made a huge impact in special teams and made a huge impact catching the ball out of the backfield, you know, and, and also was a, a guy who could run between the t- tackles and do it for a very long period of time. Not trying to take away from uh, this young man because he's a talented, talented, talented player. But, man, we li- we, we made him look like, you know, work done or, or Barry Sanders. And he's not like, let's call it. Let's call it the truth. He's not that player. So I look at that front. Um, it was worrisome for me. The second thing that's worrisome for me is it seemed to me we regressed back to a place where guys were thinking versus reacting and playing fast. You brought up a play. Um, the first, I think it's 39, and I'm going to say numbers. We, we're in a 40 front. They are trying to pass the ball. It's 39. All right. We we were very sound on first and second down. I told you in the pregame, like, hey man, we gotta win third down. You remember that conversation? We've got a guy on the quarterback, number two. And all he's gotta do is track him inside out and use the sideline as a 12 defender. He's got nine yards to go. So he's got eight yards of angle. That means he can pick an angle where he's giving ground to the tune of probably six yards and assuming the quarterback's going to get some lean. But that's a lot of angle that he can give up and force the the quarterback to funnel him to the sideline, which the quarterback's running to the sideline. And he picks an angle like two yards and he doesn't even touch him. I mean, he runs right by him and I'm like, oh, my God. And the cool part about it is it happens twice. It happens later on in the game. So when I look at those things, I say, okay, number one, who's in a position where he's not just free to play and attack? He's thinking and he's reacting and he and he's he's not fast enough. He's just not fast enough, right? The the the, the physics does not get him to the point he wants to go. He also, you know, struggles with geometry because geometry says pick an angle that's six yards up the field, not two yards up the field, and then at two yards, we don't even touch him. But that happens in the first quarter. And you're right. When you see that, I watched the whole first half. By the way, I watched the first half from the stadium. I'm in the stadium. I'm, everyone else is looking at the field. I'm not. I'm looking at the jumbotron because I need to see everybody. So I'm the guy who's like, I need to see the all 22 while, while at the game. And I'm seeing some of this and I'm saying to myself, okay, we're going to make adjustments, right? There's uh, coaches seeing some of the things that that's happening on, on, you know, on the field. There's, there's obviously coaches in the box who are saying, Hey man, this person was late. Hey man, this person was slow. Hey man, this person didn't punch that gap. Hey man, this person went outside in instead of inside out. And so I'm saying to myself in the third quarter, they are going to make adjustments, Right. It's clear that Grimes and Downs and by the way, no shot to them. But at the end of the day, we've been praising our D line. They're just not championship caliber yet. They're just not. And so when you play 30 minutes of football, the first half of the game and your your lineman, literally Downs makes a play in the first possession. And from that point on, neither of your stud DNs are are directly impactful obviously they're probably you know funneling people this way they're they're setting the edge and a lot of and a lot of what they're going to be asked to do in, the, in that type of offense is to set the edge but you also got to win one-on-one 
There are plays you have to win. There were times where they needed to step back and throw in a pocket, and we needed a 14 and or a 40 to step up and be a dog and just whoop their guy's ass. I was waiting for the moment when 14 was going to just beat somebody with speed, dip that hip, dip that shoulder, rip through, or jump inside. He's actually done it a couple times this season. He's given a guy the outside stick, and he's jumped inside and putting pressure on quarterbacks. Didn't happen once. Well, when you see that happen, and this is the second thing, Barry, I'm like, okay, what's the adjustment? What's the adjustment? And I saw Coach. Coach made an adjustment. He jumped into the 30 a little bit more frequently in the second half. He went into a 30 front, probably 20% of the snaps, 15, 20% of snaps. And 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 <laughs> K-State clearly watched film because every time we did it, they ran right, they ran the dive right up the B gap. They literally walled out. They 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 brought the guard through the hole. Uh, they double teamed on the nose, went up to the backer, and sometimes Deuce would get two to three yards. He popped it for 10 or 12 yards once or twice as well. And very smart by them. Right. But the number three thing, and I think this is the one that's the biggest indictment. And this is the area where, you know, I'm going to talk about my 10 thoughts here before we jump off. Um, but this is the area I want to make sure we give a little brief to coach, reprieve to coach. It's the same thing I said last week. Coach prepares them. He gives them a game plan. They they go through their reads. They know their checks. But then they walk across that white line. When 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 the whistle blows. Kickoff goes to the end zone. Those those guys in silver hats and silver pants come on the field and they got them freaking ugly uniforms on. Our guys have to go play football. Too many times on Saturday evening, I'm watching guys who've played, you know, two, three, four seasons sitting in concrete. They're reacting to the offense. K-State runs the ball. They're probably a B plus run team. They're a B player. They're not an A. They're not an A plus. They don't have. They don't have top shelf athletes. They don't have top shelf linemen. They don't have guys who are going to all play on Sunday. But they're B plus. They're hard nosed. They know their stuff, right? And and these guys are grizzled vets. Okay, got it. But gosh dang it, when is someone going to say, you know what? They're running the lead. I'm just going to go meet him in the A gap. I'm not going to wait and see, right? I went back and watched film of the 2000 K-State game, and I watched how our backers dealt. By the way, very similar offense. It's actually eerily similar. Like, ooh, it's actually, what's his name again? Is it Leopold? Is that his name? No, Kleinsman. This is Kleinsman. It's as if. It's as if Kleinsman is like a a reincarnation of Snyder. I'm looking. I'm like, oh, my God. But they just, by the way, that K-State team is loaded. The K-State team we played against in 2000, loaded. Oh Seminole, Kelly, Lockett, Quincy Morgan, L. Roberson. I mean, I could literally keep going. Uh, Cooper, McGraw, T. Newman, Jeremetrius Butler. I mean, they're loaded. Fada Fahey, they're loaded. They got, they, there's probably 15 guys on that team that played in the league. Guess what? They wasn't hitting us in the mouth. And so the part that really disappointed me is when you see players who've been around the programs for years these guys have played in big games these guys have been in playoffs these guys have been to the playoff with with kyler murray some of these guys and time after time after time i'm looking at the stats i'm like okay you guys you guys got some stats but are you gonna be physical and pose your will by the way i'm talking to you number two 
You got 15 tackles. How many of those tackles were in zero to four yards? And how many of those tackles were six, eight, 10, 12 yards downfield? I'd be interested to know. I'm talking to you, 25. You played the lion's share of snaps as essentially the strong safety. We're in that offense. You read tight end to chase the ball. That's what a strong safety generally does in run game. You go through the tight end because strong safety is over the strong side, which means he covers the tight end and pass routes, which, by the way, they're tight. I told you. I told you yep. that they're tight end. Remember, we had the conversation. Hey, coach. Hey, man, we're going to stop this run game. But can you promise me to kill the tight end? We'll kill the tight end. We didn't kill the tight end. Well, if you didn't kill the tight end, it should have been because you were running into the box to make tackles. And I didn't see that either. I didn't see it in red zone. I didn't see it in third down. I didn't see it much on first down. And I'm not trying to criticize. I'm telling you what the film says. I was talking to somebody offline. And the part that hurts my heart is we would watch film on Mondays. Barry, we watch film on Mondays. I'm going to pick on Texas, damn it, because we, we like to pick on Texas. Texas week or the week before, we're watching film. Texas versus Rutgers. Rutgers has no business being in the game with Texas, and Rutgers is putting hands on the Texas defense. We like, damn, who is that? They got a bad body guard. This dude's a bad body guard, and he's housing people. They've got you know a running back who runs a 4-7. And he's wiggling through the hole. Do you know what we do? We lose respect for you. It gives us a little bit of intangible edge. I go into that game. I say, Vasher, you talk all this smack, but I saw this dude from Rutgers. How is you? Ah, bro, it's on. Jammer, you supposed to be a first round guy? You're a first round dude? Nah, bro. I don't believe you. I watched film. You soft. You're a limelight. You're a glory guy. Like you want the glory plays, but you don't mind. You don't want to get dirty. I don't mind getting dirty. And so when I watch the game and I see our so-called leader studs, and again, I'm not, this is an indictment on them. This is this is just seeing what we see. I'm telling you now, Barry, our opponents that the, the Iowa State said, oh, oh no. Looks like it still might be a little bitch in them. The Baylors say, whoo. Did y'all see them run them on G, that on G power? You saw him running? That on G guard took that step, led through the hole. Boy, we like that play too. I'm telling you, they're watching that play and they're licking their chops. So when I look at the defense, um, the defensive line is the difference between the Brent Venables defense everyone wants to see versus what we currently have. It's just, it is what it is, guys. We need to be proud of the guys we're recruiting. We need to continue. We need to be proud. We have Coach Schmidt, who's re, who's transforming folks' bodies. And we need to be thankful for the guys we have because we got dudes, but they're just not. I watched Clemson versus Georgia Tech, and those guys just one-on-one, -on -one, one every four plays, 25% of the plays. One of those guys just beat their guy. He just beat their guy. Whatever coach called, one of those guys is going to make a play and it's going to mess the quarterback up. He's going to have to move off the spot. He's going to get a sack. He's going to get his hand up. That's the part of the game where we need to improve. And on no level last night did anybody step up and say, I'm going to be responsible for turning the title of this game. They took the momentum. We got it back briefly. We kicked off the ball and they got a long kickoff return. They stole the momentum and we could never get it back so from a defensive standpoint the front was problematic for me i felt i think this personnel group we have is better suited for a 30 front especially 
And I think we'll get to this here in a minute because there's certain individuals who didn't play a snap on defense last night that I I think would have made a huge difference in that style of game. Um, secondly, like I said, the D line, man, we got one stat from our starting DNs. One. We had zero, we had zero sacks from the D line, the backers, nobody. Nobody could sack the quarterback. Um, and then number three is just heart. It's heart. Right. I'm talking to some of the OG. Shout out to my boy uh Dante Jones, man. He's a good friend of mine. We talk football all the time. Obviously, a sooner great, all American, Chicago Bear. And he just said, I don't know, D Mac, it looks like a little bit, you know, similar to what we've seen the last six years. And he 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 sees the growth. He sees the potential, right? He sees some of the guys coming in, but also there's a standard at OU. We don't drop that standard. We haven't met it yet. Those guys are not there yet. They need to get better this week. They need to humble themselves this week. Some guys got to be willing to say, I might be cerebral. I might be an 11-year senior. I might be a guy who, you know what I'm saying, when it's time to step up and be a man and speak up, I'm going to speak up. But for the 11th thousand time, you got beat, son. Or you got out physical, son. Or you were sitting in concrete while everybody else was playing football, son. Come sit on the bench a little bit with me. Come come watch from, from my purview. Hey, man, if somebody gets injured, be ready to go. But just, just understand, like, I hope there isn't a situation where some guys feel like if they get benched or they have to sit on the sidelines or if they, you know, they're, they're, um, I don't know, the pecking order in which they are deemed a leader changes. They're going to get an attitude because every single week I was, you know, I understood if I have a bad week in practice, I'm not going to play. Like JJ is going to get all the reps my freshman year um, or or Jay Norm's going to get all the reps my sophomore year. Like every practice I was in competition because I wanted to get on the field. I hope this week will tell us a lot. This week will tell us if those guys will say, hey, man, I want to I'm a team guy and someone else who can either athletically get more to have a higher ceiling and get more done than I do or someone who's just flat out better at the position can get a chance to share reps. And then, of course, we need the coaches to um, also facilitate that and make it happen. Talk to me before we get into individual, you know, positions and such. What are some of the, the things you saw as well, brother? We we kind of talked about it beforehand, and it's so funny because it was highlighted by the coaches. They talked about it all off season. They talked about it all fall. They talked about it leading up. Special teams in this game always plays such a massively critical role. And in this one, I mean, we can obviously isolate plays on the first drive, other plays down the road, man. But the special teams. I mean, in a seven-point loss, it might have been the difference. And it is a game of inches. And when you're playing K-State, it's also a game of freaking field position. And I don't think 37 had his best game punting. I think this was probably one of the career-wise. And he's been a very good punter for OU. But he had to work a little bit. And there was just a lot of punts that... You would have hoped might have you know stayed in the 10 to 15 range instead k-state gets to start with that ball in the 25. you had guys not stay in their lanes on a couple kick returns one specifically that you brought up and man then the other thing is you kind of mentioned it the the snap counts that certain guys on defense 
are getting. And this is where um, I do want to throw it back just for your thoughts on just that specifically. Um, but five ends up with 85 snaps. I believe 85 snaps was all that the defense was on the field. Uh, two, all 85 snaps. Uh, 28, all 85 snaps. Um, 23, all 85 snaps. And then you have zero with 72. Um, 40 got 60. 14 got 56 and on down the line. So I don't think it is a stretch at this point to say that linebacker depth, probably not where it needs to be. However, at what point, you know, when you've been in those meetings, you know how that kind of the grading process work. We even talk about it a little bit in our previous podcast, but you know how some of that kind of goes down and why certain guys might get playing time over others. But at what point do coaches and kind of the people in charge of your personnel say, you know what, you, I know you're grading out well in, in what we're doing. Um, I know you've been here a long time, but you know what, I think we're going to kind of throw caution to the wind and let this guy underneath you get a few more snaps he may not be as consistent in practice, but athletically, he's a plus. Um, maybe in you know some phases of the game that they're tracking, he's a plus guy. Um, but we're just going to put him out there, see what happens. You know, I recognize the differences in the college game versus high school and kind of the standard that, that you have to be held to in terms of knowing the defense. But, but I think the issue is we, we've seen this so much. And the the fans always go, well, well, this guy when when seven's on the field, he's making plays. Like it doesn't take uh, a a super you know advanced football mind to see that when thirty seven's on the field, he's shrinking the field. He's taking away space. He's playing tighter. He reacts quicker. So and and in this game. Seven and thirty-seven specifically, and we'll say them because that's who everybody's talking about. And but there's probably others that they don't see as a single snap. So what is that hard line in the sand, DMAC, where it's like we're we're gonna play you these first three non-con games, but when we get into the meat of the schedule, for some reason you're not going to see the field, even though from a distance, and maybe this is the ignorance of the fans, who knows, but from a distance, they look like a plus player. What the heck is that? Yes, yeah, so a couple of things to, to really to consider is football is a sport that for, I mean, literally, it's like 10 and a half months you prepare to play, you know, potentially, I guess now it's like 14, 15 games. When we were in college, it was 13 games, right? So you're like, dude, I'm working my ass off, you know, an entire year, and it's 13 games. It's not like basketball. You know, you play everybody twice. You play 12 guys in the preseason. It's not like baseball where you get who knows how many games those guys play. We get 13 games. And I think coaches value that too. And so the biggest thing is trust and preparation um, that you will just nullify your ability to be somebody who we even consider if you are not in those two spaces. So so let's table that part. 
Then there's preseason. And it's funny, right? All the stuff we talked about, it's happening. We talked about in preseason, there's a longer bench. Guys are going to get a chance. But it, it, well, let's, let's actually digress and go back to fall camp. There's a period in fall camp where you can legitimately take someone's job. And I saw it happen. Like, I literally saw D straight game one. He was like the first corner out. And when you think about it this year, I don't know that that happened. Oh, you know who did it this year? You know who did it this year is Jaden Davis. Is it safe to say we can all agree Jaden was like like a two, a 2.5 by the end of last season and and probably a guy who, you know, the fans were saying, hey, this guy is is just not OU good. In fact, I remember a lot of people just saying, hey, he's a short guy. He's not very explosive. He gets beat. He's just not OU good. Well, he did something in fall camp to garner him being the the, literally the primary starter opposite Woody. True or untrue? True. So he he took advantage of that opportunity during fall camp, and he's that example. Then we go into preseason, and right in the preseason, you know, coaches are always looking for who's going to flash, um, who's going to provide depth, who's somebody who we can depend on. We always talked about uh, the twenty-two. We had a starting twenty-two when we were at OU. It was like who's our starting twenty-two, and we were all considered starters. Um, I think. You know, you look at those first three games and you're like, okay, you know, if I were to ask, you know, casual Joe, you know, who flashed, I think from a consensus, we would say, hey, right. We saw 37 get on the field. I think he had an interception. Uh, he 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 played a game where he played, I think, one third the snaps of white and got the same amount of production in terms of tackles and and and, um, you know, stats. Uh, and, and then in the Nebraska game, you know, a little less physical, I would say, in that game. I think he I think he took a, a small step back. But like you said, he's chewing up grass. He's a guy that when you're in his area, you know, there you feel that presence. He's a long, physical, aggressively fast kid. Then you go to seven and you're like every game he got better. Like he literally was trending up. And and by the end of the Nebraska game, most of the casual fans were saying he might be the most talented backer. He missed a couple plays. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know what, he probably didn't get burned because he missed those tackles. Well, let me tell you something. The tackles he missed were run through tackles that probably 75% of the other guys couldn't even do. So it's not like he's missing his tackle in the hole. He didn't miss tackles when he had to meet the, the running back in the B gap. He didn't miss tackles when he had to go inside out on a power and scrape across a, a guard and, you know, go out there and, and 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 hit somebody in the in the hole. He missed tackles, blitzing up field and making plays that only he could make. Not only he could make, but that his athleticism put him in position to make is the better way to say it. So um I, listen, I, I'm a sooner. And I am a guy who will die by my program, but I'm also a guy who's not going to sugarcoat things. I I don't know that there's a justifiable reason that you don't put him in the game, especially, especially Barry, when last week we saw him play center field and damn, he did it well. Damn, he did it well. He, he was playing that third safety, sitting at 12, and really that safety is kind of like coming into the box at the snap of the ball. He's taking two steps forward like a backer would versus backpedaling. And he comes in and he kills the run game one play. He jumps an under route. Uh, yep, an in-cut under route one play. And he's he's wreaking havoc. That was a game 
where Canik, if he's playing backer and he has the same opportunity uh, two does, Martinez doesn't beat him to the corner. That's a game where that tight end, when he's running those power pass routes or really those bootleg RPO bootleg routes, he probably can stick them. And 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 I'll say this because he plays this position, Barry. White played well yesterday. He made some bonehead mistakes. When you split a double team on a on a on a on a quick screen and then you just duck your head and miss the tackle and then because of that we get the face mask like dude you're a backer you're a four-year backer that's a, that should be a layup that's a layup like that's literally a bunny there's no way you missed that but that's par for the course for who he's been for four years but aside from that he he played well in coverage they tried to pick on him yeah twice two or three times and he did well um he played well he plays well i'm, I'm watching film he plays well going forward you won't get me to actually, you know, go against that. I, I will call out the things that I see that are, are, are areas of improvement. And I'm going to say a strength for him is he plays well going forward, which is why I see why, you know, they have him in Cheetah, but he still does it. He covers like a backer, not like a DB. And that Cheetah position is supposed to be a pure hybrid, and he's not a hybrid. He's a, he's a backer at Cheetah is what he is. So back to your point to 7 and 37. What is the rationalization behind not playing them? I don't know. Here's what I do know. I do know this. Everything we thought could potentially happen with some of the guys people are concerned about, it's on film now. Our coaches have it. Our opponents have it. Our players are going to watch it. Right? We talked about this, I think, after UTEP. A lot of times when we as fans want our favorite player to start over a guy we've seen not do our our standard for multiple years, we just want it to happen. And I said, I said, guys, you got to be patient, right? There's got to be an opportunity for the coach to show on film what was missed, where the areas are where you have shortcomings and, and maybe the bust and mental you know, areas that, that, that just aren't up to par because you're going to need that kid for depth. You're going to need him for depth. Let me just tell you guys, we're not going to get where we want to go through the rest of the season, and and you guys think we won't need two, or you guys think we won't need you know twenty three. We won't need twenty five. Well, that one's a little different, but <laughs> point is, you know, <laughs> pie in the sky. No, that was rude, but I, I say pie. Here's pie in the sky, Barry. Let me tell you, pie in the sky, and then gosh, I, I don't know. Maybe this is a positive or a negative, but I. Gotta tell the truth. High in the sky says, what if, you know, we realize our DNs are are are, are solid. They're they, by the way, they don't suck by no, no stretch of the imagination. They're not scrubs. But what if we add a little dynamic and we let two play a little bit on on the edge? We actually let him play the position he came here to play, where he was actually a plus. Number two is a plus DN. Number two is a guy that I could see lining up at Bama as an edge. Seriously. Yeah. Maybe he's not, he's not Will Anderson, right? He's I mean, Will Will Anderson is a freak of nature, but like he's a guy who's a who's a player who, if he's coming off the edge and he's actually the primary, and you got Grimes and Downs and the rest of those guys, you know, coming off the other edge and, and they're they're having an opportunity. I don't know. I think there's something that could potentially Add a dimension to the defense. And then because two spins down to the edge defender, what if 28 bumps over to Mike? And because 28 bumped over to Mike, what if seven gets a chance at Will? Will is the least complicated 
backer position because you don't call the reads. You don't make the reads pre-snap. You don't call the you don't call the adjustments, right? And generally you're covered. That means they're a tackle in front of you. So there isn't going to just be a lineman generally coming up to you. Generally, you've got some protection. So now we've got seven in a position where we can go chase the football. And because seven is the willy backer, now 37 can play cheetah. And because 37 is playing cheetah, now 12 can play strong safety. And here's how you work it. You say, hey, 23, you've had a hell of a season so far. I want you to know we haven't given up on you. Be ready to go at Cheetah. Oh, but also be ready to go at Will. Oh, but also be ready to go at Mike. That's called quality depth. Now you've got 23 in a position where he may not. How many plays did he log? How many plays did you say? 25, 23 logged? I think he was in the 30 range. Let me take a double back right there. 23. Go look at 23. But my point is. What does the Sooner Nation's perception of that young man look like if one possession he's playing because 37 needs a break and then the next possession he's playing because seven needs a break and then and then the next possession he's playing because 28 needs a break? That's called quality depth. We've got a guy with four years who, right, that's a that's that's a guy who, quote unquote, a term they use is they can play winning football. You can play winning football with him, but you don't want him to be in a position where he has to consistently be your game changer, making plays. And then because you've done that, now you've got seven getting quality reps. And he's a difference maker. Yeah, now you've got 20. All 85. Yeah. Wow. I, which, 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 you know, imagine if he got 45 instead of 85 and they're distributed between the distribution is between Cheetah and Will and then a couple out Mike as needed. Like to me, that's more par with where he can bring the most value right and then because you know we've got these these differences now imagine if if two plays 85 plays or maybe he plays 70 plays but 30 of them are on the edge predominantly third down what if on third down two's on the edge 28 is at mike and seven's at will and 37's at cheetah again this is pie in the sky guys right i'm not over here calling our coaches you know i'm not calling them out i'm just saying from my untrained eye 20 years an og now i'm an og now i got white in my beard but from from this perspective what does that look like and then you know five's tired he has to play 85 plays but instead you're right 25 plays seven for him 12 and 12 didn't play a lot. I mean, he didn't, he did definitely didn't play as much as everyone else did, but imagine if 12 takes 40 of those plays and 25 is taking, you know, 30% of those plays he had at that position for in, in this pie of the sky example that I'm not saying is reality, which by the way, it could easily come to fruition. It could easily come to fruition. But if that were to happen, how much faster is the defense? Do you coming off the edge? Stuntsman's your slowest backer. Which, by the way, is a he's a plus backer. Any coach in America tells you a 6'4", 238 pound dude who can run. That's a plus, especially at a middle backer. And then next to him, you've got Canick, who's a 10 2 guy. And then next to him, you've got Harrington, who's six, he's literally 6'2, 218, and he's a 4'4, four, 4'5 four, four, guy. Literally. Age, all of a sudden, Adrian Martinez is not, you know. He doesn't look like uh, Michael Bishop. 
He doesn't he doesn't look like uh Reggie Mc I'm gonna throw a name out that used to be a killer for us back in the day. Reggie McNeil used to kill us at A and M. Oh he was the real deal. <laughs> he used to kill us, right? So I, I look at that and and I know I, I know I went on a little journey for this one, Barry, but here's what I want the fans and 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 all the individuals that listen to this podcast to know is those are the questions we want to see answered come Saturday. Because now the film is there. You can't switch the guys. You can't switch. You can't switch 23 after his game against uh, Nebraska. You can't do it. He's, he bought his ass off. You can't do it. You can't switch too. We're playing in the backfield so much. He plays such a great game coming forward. He's smashing the A gap. He's, he's, he, right, he, he's getting sacks. I mean, two played well against Nebraska. But Brent Venable said something. Oh, I got to bring this up, Barry. Coach said something. He said, you know, one of our fears, and I think you brought this to my attention or someone else did. He said, one of our fears in watching tape of the last years is we saw we had to break bad habits. Our fear was, is when the rubber met the road and it was time to bow up, some guys would revert back to habits from previous seasons. Yeah. Do you remember that 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 quote or uh, or or that that statement that was made by coach? Yeah. Mm. So what, what that tells us, Barry, it tells us that they saw the film, they saw what the fans see, they saw it. I told, I, I we know they saw it. They saw some of the games from last year and two years ago, and what some of the personnel groupings that are on the field do. But they said, "Yo, we're gonna coach them out of it. Yo, we're gonna culture them out of it. Yo, we're gonna athlete them out of it." With Schmitty. But in the back of their brains, they say, I hope they don't revert. Well, if indeed they did revert to some of those places that they have a little concern, I would not be surprised based on film, which is empirical evidence, that they say, hey, at the very minimum, we're going to do you know, a rotation. And then we're going to go with the hot hand. So I, I, I definitely understand why a lot of people are upset at arms. Feelings hurt, you know, but give the coaches a chance to coach. That, that film is going to be a very powerful tool for them. It, it was uh, today. I'm sure the coaches up there were looking at it and analyzing it today. I don't know if they do film review Sunday, Monday, or just Monday. We we did both. And then we went to just Monday. We did all day Monday uh, from 2000 on. But however Coach BV does, chooses to do it, listen, the defense is going to watch the film together. And they gonna all get cussed out together. And then they're gonna go in their position groups and they gonna all get cussed out as position groups. So in that film, if I'm if I'm Johnny and Tyrone has a position ahead of me, and the coaches are operating with fidelity, and we all see that Tyrone screwed up and, and I play the same position, you better believe I'm bringing it that week of practice. Oh, I'm coming. And I might tell Tyrone, like, hey, bro, you over here sleeping. You might get to a spot like that was the conversations we have. Me and Jay Norm are best friends, but I'm like, but I won't like when they put in, they will install new plays for new new opponents. I, I need that. Coach Spurry, hey, hey, which one of you guys are going to bang your head on the scoreboard and, or on the goalpost and score this touchdown? Yeah, Coach, that's me. All right, we're going to see. One-on-one is going to let us know. Blitz period. We're going to see who who pick it up. All right, we're going to see. You know, 7-0. Like we knew going into that week of practice, like, man, I better bring it because I'm trying to get them, you know, I'm trying to get those plays. So let's see what happens don't cry and moan and don't have solutions remember guys at the end of the day we're all hurting at the end of the day we all took that ill 
at the end of the day, none of us want to watch Sports Center or want to watch the, the the sports shows on all the different channels because we know they're saying, oops, the same Oklahoma. All of us are dealing with that right now. But we have to come with solutions. And and Barry said it, we don't have the depth we would love to have, but we've got some solutions in the cupboard. We don't have to go outside the cupboard to get these solutions. We got some right here homegrown. And it'll be interesting to see if this regime of coaches takes advantage of that and how soon they take advantage of that versus just being blindly loyal to upperclassmen. Well, and I'm going to say this too, just on the 25 situation. And I, I got to thinking about it and everybody's kind of forgotten because it hasn't been reported, but 12 coming off of the hamstring deal that, he had, I believe it was the first game that he actually started dealing with it. Man, ham, I don't know if you ever had like significant hamstring stuff going on when you played Mackie, but I mean, if you have a pulled hamstring and then, you know, God forbid a tear, um, that is a tough thing to get fully right and sometimes takes a little bit. And part of the protocol with something like that is you can play through it but it is about managing volume. And I just went back for kicks and giggles and first game, uh, 12 doubled up 25 in snaps, I believe 48 to 24. So I think it's obvious where the coaches wanted to go with that position. And it is just maybe a matter of, they don't have another guy they feel comfortable with behind 25. So, they're just letting him roll with it because he's going to be right place, right time. And then when 12 gets back, you know, fully healthy, and maybe we see that soon. Hopefully he's not had any regressions. Maybe we will see the shift there. Um, hey, let's also say this, B. Yeah. Uh, 12 was not amazing yesterday. 12 missed tackles. He fell down on a very important play. And, and uh, I don't know if you noticed it. It made me laugh. They run some action and, and QB throws the ball on our on our flats into our flats. Good coverage. He slips. And because he slips, uh, I think Knowles catches the ball and gets upfield for about seven or eight more time from seven or eight more yards. And 12 looks at the sideline. He kind of pats his chest like, my bad, my bad. And coach said, yeah, I know you're bad. Get on the sideline. And they sat him on the sideline and brought 25. I thought it was funny because I just remember those days, which which means there's competition. I think you're right. Coming off a bad wheel, they want to make sure they they uh, massage him back in correctly and don't just rush him. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, bro. Go ahead and finish your thought. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, I mean, in the the secondary as a whole, like if you look at the the, they didn't really gash OU in the passing game, like you know has been done in the past. But what they did was they hit big third downs, big second and longs when it mattered. And that tight end was just a matchup issue. Um, they also had a Phil, Phil Brooks ended up. We he's actually somebody we brought up in the pod saying we can't have guys like that for for Kansas State. You know, catching the ball and in his case, a lot of times at the line of scrimmage, and then it's four to five yards up the field, which Kansas State blocked great on the perimeter almost the whole night, which kind of leads us into talking about the OU offense, which. Puts up 34 points. You're an offensive guy, as everybody knows. It didn't feel like they played horribly on offense. The explosives were there. 
However, it never felt like they were able to to seize control and own the moment like we've seen teams in the past. I think fans, DMAC, they're just accustomed to it, right? When, when K-State goes up 14-0, OU, I believe, is able to force a punt on that third possession, get the ball back. They don't score. Force a punt on the next possession, I believe they do score. And then they score one more. And all of these were late first quarter, second quarter. And then it's a little bit of back and forth, a field goal here instead of a touchdown. Second half, you saw the offensive line open up some stuff in the run game, it seemed. And you felt, you know, you kept feeling like OU was going to start to lean on something and take control. And, and see what and see the offense do what it's done time and time again because you know the cover's probably a little less bare on that side of the ball than it is on the defensive side of the ball. But there's still guys who need to, you know, positions that need to shore up. But even with all the explosives, they're, they're outgained gained in time of possession by almost 10 minutes. And I know that matters a little bit less than the way OU runs offense. But in this game, it felt like it was kind of critical that they sustained a few drives, especially those first couple. So first talking macro big picture, did the offense, was it as bad as at certain points as, as the fans think? Was it maybe better than we think? Or, or was it just more of a disposition group? did well this position group really left a lot to be desired but what was your assessment thank you all for listening to the barry and max show the next episode part two will be out in the next 48 hours also make sure you are subscribed to the feed because damien's releasing his 10 thoughts that is right exclusively 10 thoughts on the barry and max show podcast feed so excited to be bringing you all this content uh, we have some other segments and little shorts we're going to be working on as well but man go leave us that rating and review let us know what you thought and we will see you all soon for respect nationwide